0: I confess that often when we are singing and praying at the beginning of the service, I'm working to try to give my heart to Him and to worship Him. I'm often a little bit distracted by what comes next and, and what I'm about to do and making sure the, uh, I don't know, I've got the logistics and I don't fall on my face as I'm walking up the steps. Uh, but I really sense God's presence this morning and His love. And if If you're watching at home, I I hope that leapt through the screen for you. Uh, So today, we're going to think about one of the most important ingredients in our relationship with God. It literally affects everything about our spiritual lives, and we don't think about it enough. At least I don't. Uh, Plus, it's one of the key ingredients, it's maybe the key ingredient that enabled Moses to become Moses. You know, Moses led one of the most impactful revolutions in the history of the world by any standard. And outside of Jesus' movement, it could be argued that, that this was the most spiritually dynamic movement in human history. It definitely had more supernatural intervention than any other human endeavor. So how did it happen? How did Moses become Moses? What is this key ingredient? Well, of course, there's more than one ingredient, both for Moses and for us in our connection to God. But today we'll discuss what may be, as I said, the most important ingredient of all. We're gonna we're gonna pick up our story. We're we're in a series of conversations we've called rescued. We're working our way through the Old Testament book of Exodus, and we're gonna pick up our story on the back half of chapter six of Exodus and the first part of chapter seven today. And in this passage our key ingredient becomes especially obvious. So I'm going to give it right from the beginning. Here it is. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. It's found in Exodus chapter 7, verses 6 and verse 10. Here it is. Exodus 7, 6. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Then down in verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded the key ingredient so often missing as we think about our connection to God, and especially for us, especially, you know, those of us who live in dem- the democratic 20 and 21st century West, even especially for those of us who are Americans, maybe most especially for those of us who are suburban Americans, the key ingredient so often missing in our connection to God, the ingredient that enabled Moses to become Moses, is simple obedience. Let's pray. Lord, we um, we revel in your love for us. We often forget it. And this morning we've been reminded. And Lord, in our love for you, we struggle to find it at times, but uh, we thank you that you have planted your flag in our heart. And we we enjoy a friendship with you. We enjoy connecting with you. We enjoy those those times in our lives when we've, not as many as we want, but those times we've literally experienced your power. But this morning, God, we remember that yeah, the key theme in this is we we must obey you. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. They the, the, You know, those faithful ones that have come before us have overturned the language to try to explain how sovereign you are, how epic you are, how in control you are, and we bow down. And so this morning, Lord, we bow down. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's do a story recap up to this point. Um, Moses has returned to Egypt at this point in the story. He spent half a lifetime in the desert of Midia, and now he has returned to Egypt with his family, and he's found his brother Aaron, and he's told his brother Aaron and the leaders of the Israelite community what happened to him out in the desert of Midia. God literally spoke to him, and God told him, I'm going to set my people free. I'm going I'm to release them from bondage in Egypt and and the people the leaders of Israel have believed him and Aaron has believed him they're all in so Moses and Aaron have gone to Pharaoh and they've asked him and they asked him literally for a weekend away that they could take a spiritual retreat out into the desert and Pharaoh has utterly rejected the request not only so he's ticked off that this even come up and Pharaoh has made life harder for the Hebrew slaves so the Hebrew slaves, uh, the foremen of the Hebrew slaves, the Hebrew foreman of the Hebrew slaves have, have taken their case to Pharaoh and they've said, look, we can't get the job done that you're asking us to do. You've made it infinitely harder and Pharaoh would have none of it. He tells them to go back to work. You're being lazy. So then they take their complaint to Moses. Moses, what have you done? And, and they even uh, uh, accuse Moses of getting it completely wrong and they tell Moses, look, may God judge you because you've blown this Moses and then Moses of course takes his complaint to God why God it wasn't supposed to be like this and God has answered and God said in essence Moses now you're going to see it I'm going to do amazing things because of my mighty acts Pharaoh will literally beg you to leave I am Yahweh I am the Lord I'm the God of your ancestors, and I've heard the groanings of my people. Yes, Moses, they are my people. I will break the yoke of slavery. I will lead you out of Egypt. I will bring you into the land of abundance, the land I promised to your forebears. You just watch. And that brings us to today's passage. Exodus 6, and we'll begin with verse 9. Exodus 6, 9 through 12. Moses reported this to the Israelites, this dialogue that he's just had with God, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. The English Standard Version translation of this translates that word discouragement, broken spirit, and if you look that word up in a Hebrew-English dictionary, it will say discouragement, broken spirit, and it will add with an emphasis on impatience. In fact, the root word is shortness, the root word of this word. There is impatience buried in this that we don't get from the English. Moses, we've heard this before. You said this, you went to Pharaoh, and it got worse. Shut up. Let's stop. And then the Lord said to Moses, okay, go tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? And that, that, that uh, word faltering lips is literally uncircumcised lips. And this idea of being circumcised was a very important religious idea for the Israelites. We don't know exactly what that means. I'll get to that in a minute. But I suspect that's not how Moses said that, right? I suspect what Moses really said was, well, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with uncircumcised lips?" And then we get a commercial break in the story. The back half of chapter 6 gives the a genealogy of Moses and Aaron and that will often happen in scripture and in the story it's actually a perfect time for a commercial break so we get a commercial break and then the story picks up in Exodus chapter 7 verses 1 through 13 and we're going to look at that as well this morning and let's go old school and stand out of reverence for this part of God's word. Exodus 7, 1 through 13, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Interesting, he's going to speak as if in God's stead. It's it's as if he were God to Pharaoh. And and Aaron is going to be like Moses' prophet. You know, I think there's an interesting analogy there, isn't it? Because Moses is going to be essentially the voice of, the word of God, and and he's a pattern for what will one day literally be God's word walking among us, Jesus. And Aaron will be his spokesperson in the same way that you and I are today the spokespeople for Jesus. You were to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring up my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old. And Aaron 83, when they spoke to Pharaoh, I don't know about you, but I'm tired when I read that. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake, We'll have more to say about this next week. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. All right, you may be seated. Okay, think about it this way. I don't think this is unintentional in this passage. Uh, there is a laundry list of things that you and I depend on, that we put our hope in, that we build our lives on. Or in some cases, we wish we could build our lives on them. We wish we had them. A laundry list of things that, that we think make our lives happen. I even think about doing church this way with some of these, this, this laundry list in mind. I think of parenting this way. I think these are the things that help make it happen. We think these are the ingredients that will get us where we want to go, that will help us be successful. So these are the things we end up investing in. This is what we put our energy toward. This is not an exhaustive list, but let's just give some examples. Number one, the right skill set. We're tempted to think that, we're even trained to think that the right skill set will set us up for success. That's why we spend so much energy and time in education. This is what it's all about, developing the right skill set. We tend to believe this is something we can build on. For example, I could really go further if my English was better, if I just had that ability. Or I wish I had a master's, that that would help me make it happen. Or I think I've gotten where I am because of my people skills or because of my organizational skills or because of whatever, it's my skill set. That's the key. It's interesting that when God reiterates his instructions to Moses to go speak to Pharaoh in chapter 6, Moses says, I can't. I have uncircumcised lips. And we don't know exactly what this phrase means. Perhaps Moses thinks that he doesn't know enough or, or maybe he's not religious enough because the Jews, again, circumcision was a profoundly spiritual idea. Or perhaps his Egyptian had gotten rusty during his years in the Midian Desert. Perhaps he was terribly shy, or maybe he even had a speech impediment. Uh, Whatever the phrase means, it definitely suggests that Moses doesn't think he has the skills to do what he's being asked to do, right? I don't have the skill set, God. So what is God's response? That doesn't matter, Moses. (laughs) Aaron, okay, Aaron can go with you. If you, you. if you have to say something you can't say it, Aaron will speak for you. It's not about your skill set, Moses. What I need from you is obedience, plain and simple. Go speak to Pharaoh. A second thing that we sometimes think makes it happen for us is having the right entourage. Do you know that word entourage? It means the people you associate with or that group that, that supports you. Sometimes we think the key to us becoming a real difference maker, the, the key to our success is the right entourage. Do you know the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know that matters? Sometimes we think we just, we just need to make the right contacts. Or, or we need the right support system. I read a leadership article recently that said, the most important decision a leader ever makes is hiring the right person to fit his or her weaknesses. In other words, having the right entourage. And this is important. Look, here at Gateway, we talk a lot about how much you and I need a spiritual posse. And if you're new around Gateway, I'm warning you, you're going to hear a lot about that. We need people we can connect with. We need that support. We we need their encouragement. We need accountability. That's absolutely true. It's essential to our faith. But this is not the key ingredient for us if we're going to be successful at what God is asking us to do. The right entourage is important to our growth and development for sure. But, remember Moses? His entourage was non-existent. Moses was one of those leaders who stepped out boldly only to look around and nobody's following him. He had no entourage. In fact, his supposed entourage had basically condemned him to God's judgment. That's what they felt about him. As important as the right spiritual posse is, there's something even more fundamental, even more important for us. We've got to build our lives on obedience to God, to what he has said to us. Jesus put it like this. Anyone who loves me, and that's the point of the exercise. It could be argued that's the point of our lives. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and we will make our home with them. We'll we'll build an intimate relationship with them if there's the baseline of obedience. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. I I don't make this up. This comes from the Father. In other words, if we want to have an intimate connection with God, we will obey what Jesus has told us and we will follow his example. We will live like he lived. It's about obedience. How about a third option, a third ingredient we sometimes think, make it hap- think makes it happen for us? That the right disposition, either the right natural disposition or maybe, maybe the right learned disposition. For example, some of us think that our shyness is the thing that has always held us back. We're not bold enough or we're not strong enough or, or we, we think that we're just If we were just stronger or more forceful or or tougher, we would have gotten farther. In other words, we we may believe that we've gotten where we are because of those traits. I've often read that optimistic people are more successful. And I've heard many times that great leaders are optimistic. I like that. I'm optimistic. So when I read that, I think, oh, maybe I can be, maybe I'm a great leader because I'm optimistic. You can see the problem with that one, can't you? Optimism is often dampened by suffering, especially long-term suffering. Some of you are experiencing that today. We can build our lives, we can't build our lives on something as insubstantial as boldness or optimism. Those dispositional traits, they, they won't stand the test of time. If you've been with us through these conversations in Exodus, you may remember that the Israelite leaders at first had welcomed Moses' announcement of Yahweh's word back in chapter 4, but now they have rejected it, and they've rejected Moses. Their lives have gotten much more difficult, and the enthusiasm and the optimism has faltered. Pharaoh's strategy, in other words, has worked. All optimism had been sucked out of the atmosphere. So clearly, this movement is not going to get off the ground. It's not even going to start if it depends on the right disposition. Because at this point, Moses was, dispositionally, you fill in the blank, very discouraged with the people and with God, uh, very angry, despondent, with the people and with God, frustrated with the people and with God, numb, worried, all of the above. And the people are much worse off. Their disposition is even darker. And yet the movement continues. Moses' faith did not falter. Let me reiterate, this cannot be about Moses's disposition. He wasn't displaying any natural enthusiasm or optimism or boldness at this point. He was barely even willing, and yet his faith didn't falter. And how do we know that? Why do I say that? Why do I say that Moses's faith didn't falter? Because Moses did what the Lord told him to do. Moses did what God commanded him to do, and the revolution advanced. Let me give you another option, another, thing that, another ingredient that we like to build on, another part of our soup that we, for success that we sometimes think is the key ingredient, vitality. We're often tempted to think that our success depends on our vitality. Unfortunately, that often translates into youth in our minds. It certainly assumes good health. In fact, we live in what is perhaps the most youth-obsessed culture in human history. So much so that our old people, especially our very old, tend to think, I'm no use anymore. I don't have the energy I used to have. And yet, much of what we can do and much of what we do do in our youth turns out to be not really very important in the long run. <laughs> I like what the poet Robert Browning said, what youth deemed crystal, age finds out was due. Moses was 80 years old when the contest with Pharaoh started. Let me repeat, at the beginning of this revolution, he was 80 God clearly didn't need human vitality. He needed human obedience. Some of you know, uh, have heard or read Annie Graham Lotz. She's the daughter of Billy Graham. She's often talked about obedience by explaining that when she and her husband, Denny, attend Uh, football games at his alma mater, the the University of North Carolina. She says they drive up and the parking lot is crammed with thousands of people and she can't see where in the world she's going. She doesn't know which direction to head. But her husband is 6'7". And he can see over the crowd so he takes her hand and leads them to their seats. She explains it like this. The way I get from the car to my seat is just by holding his hand and following him as closely as I can through the crowd. And this is the same procedure I follow with the Lord. I just try to faithfully follow the Lord step by step and day by day. And Ten years from now, I just want to look back and know that to the best of my ability, I have been obedient to God's call on my life. Let's, let's offer one more, one final one. Uh, I don't think of this one as much, but I, I think suburban Americans do. Let's call it, uh, typical suburban Americans, let's call it your bag of tricks or your resources. We tend to think our resources will get us where we want to go. That's why we collect them so studiously. Now Moses had a pretty amazing bag of tricks, if you think about it. He, he and Aaron had this staff that they could throw on the ground and it becomes a snake. Not to mention the plagues that they are about to unleash at their, from Pharaoh's perspective at their word. On the Egyptians, we'll have more to say about these, as I said, over the next few weeks. Some of you have a pretty impressive bag of resources as well: your education, your money, your people skills, even your spiritual gifts, your spiritual experiences, your your natural charisma. But if you think about it, the bag of tricks that Moses employed, or the resources that he released here, if you will, they didn't work. at at least not until the, the devastation of the final plague. And even then, Pharaoh still came after him. And how about for the children of Israel? Did the bag of tricks work for them? Nope, didn't work on them either. They saw God move in ways that many of us dream about. If this story is literally true, then surely this is a set of people who would never doubt God. This must be a set of people who would always follow Moses and listen to exactly what he said after seeing Moses open up this incredible bag of tricks, and yet they don't. They doubt God, they whined and complained, and they ultimately betrayed God and Moses if we're relying on our resources, if we're building our lives on our resources, our efforts will eventually falter. Our money, our charisma, what we learned at that life-changing seminar that's going to dynamically change our management style, our language skills, our spiritual gifts, even our hard work. Those are all good things, but if we're we're, if we're relying on our resources, if we're putting our hope in our resources, we will falter. We are people who have decided that we will rely on the Lord. That's what faith means, and the way that works itself out in our lives is by doing what He commands. That's what it looks like to rely on the Lord. That's what relying on him is, that we obey him. That, that's the theme of our lives. Consider the case of Jeff Lewis. Jeff Lewis was a supply clerk with the Army's 82nd Airborne Division. Those of you who are Army background, you'll know what that means. It was, it was probably, they say, a clerical error that sent Jeff Lewis out the door of an airplane on his first parachute drop without any training. Army Specialist Jeff Lewis was 23, he was completely untrained, and he jumped out of an airplane with a parachute on. Fortunately, he landed on the ground unhurt, I don't know how. After the incident, Specialist Lewis said he was just doing what a good soldier is supposed to do, he was following orders. Lewis said this in the paper, the Army said I was airborne qualified, I wasn't gonna question it, (laughs) you should've. Fortunately, Jesus is more reliable than the army. We build our lives by obeying him like that. Even when we feel unqualified, even when our vitality is gone, even when we're lacking in resources, we obey. So let's summarize. How do we do what we've been asked to do? Especially, how do we do the difficult thing? Uh, how, do we, how do we parent this child? Uh, she is wonderful, but she's challenged, and she has serious, special needs. She may always be with us. How do we do that? Well, the starting point and the key to our progress and success is obedience how do how do I stay in this marriage I don't love him anymore I, I, I it's drudgery it's impossible for me to respect him well the starting point and the key to our progress and success is obedience how do I keep going physically In the face of chronic pain or chronic illness. This is where some of you live. How do I keep going? Well, the starting point and the key to our progress and success is obedience. How do I stay in this job? How do I manage these incredibly difficult circumstances, this avalanche of circumstances that are salting me from every side. How? Well, the starting point and the key to our progress and success is obedience. Life is beautiful, but also really difficult. We are people who build our lives and our futures by relying on God and God alone. Relying on God trusting in God, putting our faith in God, that's how we navigate our difficulties. And and our faith becomes practical for us as we learn more and more about how to obey Jesus and follow his example. That's how faith becomes practical, in obedience. A.W. Tozer once said, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. We do what the Lord commands, and he makes of our lives what he desires. This is the key ingredient for us, and and it's maybe the italicized key ingredient. So, what is the Lord asking of you today? Is there a major decision you're facing? Have you asked him? What he wants you to do? Is there a major problem or challenge you're facing? What does he want you to do in the midst of it? Is there a secret sin pattern? What does he want you to do about it? What is the last thing the Lord told you to do? Is there some change he's wanted you to make? Some step he's wanted you to take? The great uh, 20th century Bible teacher A.W. Pink makes an interesting point about this passage. I want you to hear this before we wrap up. Do you remember in the passage last week, Moses went to Pharaoh, and he asked Pharaoh, if the Isra- essentially, if the Israelites could go away for a weekend. Well, A.W. Pink believes that this was a compromise on Moses' part. Maybe a cultural compromise, or, or maybe he was just too afraid of Pharaoh to ask for what God really wanted him to ask. So this time, in today's passage, God says, go tell Pharaoh to let you leave his country entirely. And then God says to Moses, you will be like God to Pharaoh. And Pink thinks that God is telling Moses not to go meekly and humbly before Pharaoh. He intended for Moses to go demand of Pharaoh, the release of God's people. God was not just asking for obedience, but bold obedience. Is there some boldness that God is asking of you? I find it very interesting that the Bible tells us Jesus learned obedience. Isn't that interesting? Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, I want you to see this. for all who believe him. Pause there for dramatic effect for a second. This is so striking, a set of verses, a paragraph, that there are those who have developed a a theology, a thinking around this that would say that Jesus actually grew into being the Son of God. He, He wasn't the Son of God, and he grew into being the Son of God. Now, that's not true, but These verses do emphasize for us, listen to this, how thoroughly earthly the principle of obedience is, even for Jesus. This is what I mean. Life on planet earth is about learning to obey. You're going to obey your own desires, or you're going to obey some authority figure in your life, or you're going to obey God. That's the key ingredient in us becoming who God designed us to be. Even Jesus learned obedience. And one of the primary schools for learning this lesson is suffering. Suffering strips away all of the other ingredients, all of the other building blocks, and we are left with Christ alone. Through suffering, we let go of our reliance on vitality. We let go of our reliance on resources. We let go of our reliance on entourage, and we are left with only Jesus, and it turns out that's all we need. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus uh, this is the night he's betrayed, and he's, he's laboring in the Garden of Gethsemane in prayer. And some of you know this moment. Uh, and, and Jesus prays to the Father, you know, take this cup from me. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus does not pray. I want you to look at the, the heart of the motivation. There were a lot of things motivating this, but let's look at the core of it. Jesus does not pray. Oh, I don't want to go through this, but because of that rascal Ed Allen... I know that he's going to need this salvation one day, so I submit to this because of my love for him. No. He submits to this saying, not my will, but your will. It's obedience that led to our salvation. Life on planet Earth is about our obedience to the King of Kings.